0: And it gave me, which I think is translated into my podcast and just my work of like, God damn it, we're all just doing the best we can, you know, and you never know what the other person's dealing with. You're listening to
1: the MILF podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with
0: fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF. Now, here's your host. The milfiest milf I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is milf podcast, the show where we talk about motherhood, entrepreneurship, sexuality, and everything in between. I'm your host, Jennifer Tracy. That was just a clip of me talking and it's so weird. So I am the guest of my own show this week, you guys, the beautiful, lovely, and talented Jackie McDougall, host of 40 Thrive podcast. And I have done a pod swap today. And so she's interviewing me on my show and I interviewed her on her show, which is out today. So if you want to hear both sides of the interview, then you got to go to 40 Thrive and listen to me interviewing her, MILF style, on her podcast. And she's interviewing me, 40 Thrive style, on my podcast. It was really fun. We did both interviews in one day in my bedroom. I think we ate a whole board of cheese. I ate most of it. She didn't eat very much. I love cheese and bread. I do. I love it. I can't help it. And we had some tea and we just went for it. I think we took about four hours to do the whole thing and it was so much fun. But I have to say, listening to the playback for the editing process, I was very self-conscious about it because, you know, it's different. And I share a lot of stuff on the show um, about myself but it's different when I'm interviewing somebody else because the topic always keeps going back to them, interviewing them. So this one is pretty vulnerable. And, um, you know, I talk about my recovery. Yeah. Anyway, I really hope you guys enjoy it. Go on over to 40 Thrive and check out my interview with Jackie as well. So you get a little bit of her side of things, but I'm sure you'll enjoy her interview of me. She's such a good interviewer and a couple of points of business real quick. First of all, Hi, this is episode 50. You guys, this is episode 50. Oh my gosh. How did I get to episode 50? Yeah, I'm very proud of MILF Podcast and the team of MILF Podcast. And this is kind of a big deal. And we're coming up on one year that I've been doing this now. So lots of, uh, lots of celebrating that's going to be happening. I just had a birthday. I just turned 44 on Monday. Yeah, June 3rd is my birthday. I'm a Gemini. I'm 44 now, feel like, you know, I have to buckle down and get serious. Just kidding. Never going to happen. So this month's give, I've chosen um, the organization familiesbelongtogether.org. I came to them through the Phenomenal Mother campaign, which you may have seen me posting about on Instagram. I I found them through June Diane, beautiful June Diane, the actress who's in... um, Grace and Frankie. She's been in a bunch of stuff, but she's currently in Grace and Frankie on Netflix. And she was in that movie that just came out with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen um, called Lo- The Long Shot. And anyway, she's she's an activist and an actress and she's really freaking badass. And um, I found this through her. And what they're about is we'll just read this to you. We're a coalition of over 250 organizations that represent Americans from all backgrounds who join together because we believe in dignity, unity, compassion, and love for all children and families. We want to end family separation and detention, and we won't rest until every family is reunited. So you can check them out. There's going to be a link on my, or there already is a link on my website under my giving page. Um, You can donate to them directly at familiesbelongtogether.org or you can write a review for MILF Podcast and I will donate, in your honor, uh, $25 per iTunes review written for MILF Podcast in the month of June. So that's The Give. Our live show is coming up end of July, July 24th, 2019, which is a Wednesday night at 8 p.m. at the Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles. We're doing a live podcast event. So what that means is you go online right now and you buy your ticket because I don't think there probably will be any available the night of. You can wait and try and see, but you might get turned away. I'm just saying. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be a live event. Obviously, I'm hosting it. There's going to be a little bit of pole dancing happening. There's going to be four guests with me on the stage talking about sex after kids and just sex in general. It's going to be a really fun night. I'm, I'm cooking up some fun stuff for you. So please come to that. I'm, I'm super excited about it. So yeah, anyway, I'm going to stop stalling because that is really, I'm realizing that's what I'm doing. This week's episode, episode 50 of MILF podcast, which is the beautiful, lovely, and talented Jackie McDougal interviewing me. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the MILF podcast.
1: I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) You and that voice and that MILFy, MILF, MILF stuff. I'm sorry, but there's no MILFy, awesome, sexy voice today. It's all this shit happening. You
0: are (laughs) wrong, my friend. You are all MILF all day long.
1: Yes, yes. Yes. you are. So, all right. So Jackie McDougal, I don't mean to take over your show, but girl, this is my milfy milf show today. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is.
0: Yes, it is. I
1: am so excited. I listen to you in the car. Sometimes I feel like we're best friends and you just don't know it yet. I
0: feel it. Don't you? I totally
1: feel and it. And the fact that we're, I don't think I've ever recorded a podcast episode where I
0: am so comfortable. We're in your bedroom for crying out loud. I know. This With is your the, little
1: slash, your little my dog. My
0: guy <laughs> sleeping on the big giant pillow. I've never recorded in my bedroom either. Wow. So this is like, we're de-virginizing the, the podcast of the bedroom. Wow,
1: this is sexy.
0: It, should, is. Yeah. it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to come
1: back down to your, um, the, one of the reasons I love your podcast so much is your energy. Because when I have chaos, and I want to just kind of like be with my girlfriends, but I don't have time to be with my girlfriends. I can listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm. So I got to bring my energy down to like where your your cool vibe is. <laughs>
0: I'm cool. I have a cool vibe. A I cool think I'm vibe. such a dork. You do? Oh, yeah. I'm very nerdy.
1: So can I ask you anything? Anything you want. All right. Let's start. Let's start. We'll start easy. I'll throw you some like okay. underhanded oh, easy ones okay. to hit. Okay, Where did you learn how to... I don't even want to say interview, because okay. it doesn't sound like an interview. And I've asked you before we even got started, like, do you know all these people? Like, have you slept with all these people you have <laughs> on? Because the intimacy and the ability to just like... I have orally pleasured every woman who's been on the show. How is that not in your show open? <laughs> so mothers, I like to... Oh, fellatio. I don't know. <laughs> And we're going to get to that too, because I think a lot of people think they know what MILF is. Um, yeah, but you don't, you know, spell it out every week. But they anyway, don't know. let's get back they to the original yes. question. Yes, how did you learn how to have these conversations and pull out the most comfortable, easy breezy, but yet intimate and revealing uh, conversations with these people?
0: Um, the short answer is I don't know. The slightly longer answer is. When I was in my 20s, I found a tiny little improv studio, theater, right by my house. And I started studying improvisation. And I did like a conservatory length study of it. And what that did in a different way than like my Meisner did you ever take Meisner acting class? See, you're much too smart for me. No, no, no. That's it. Doesn't it, no.
1: I was an unemployed actress my, for a The most years. acting I've ever done is like you know me with a brush, uh, like talking into a microphone, like I was being interviewed. You know, that's as that's as much. You know, I was winning Oscars, in you know, in my imagination, but I was
0: never acting. That's anyway. all you need, and that's so much better than the real thing. Let me assure you. <laughs> I took Meisner when I first moved out here to LA. And Meisner technique is basically you start with repetition. So we'll give an example. Um, we just kind of repeat it back to each other. Like, and if you, you say, you can say something to me and I'll repeat it back to you or I'll, t- I'll comment on how you're feeling or what, you're th- what I think you're thinking. So let's just give it a whirl and we'll see. Okay. You just follow my lead. So you okay. start by saying something to me. Could be anything like it's sunny today.
1: Um, your dog on the pillows behind you is the cutest thing I've ever seen.
0: You're totally a dog person.
1: I have three dogs. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: seem uncertain right now.
1: It's funny because I grew up not a dog person. <laughs> I have 12 siblings and my dad used to say, I have kids. I don't need dogs, you know, which is funny because he's not Jewish or from New York, but I just made him both.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't have the. do So you know. I didn't do that right because I didn't like explain it first. But like, basically, when I was saying you seem uncertain right now, mm. that was like commenting on that was in like the context of the exercise. I see. Okay. And so no, I
1: was actually amazed. <laughs> I was actually amazed already. Because, you know, I comment on your dog. And then you're pulling stuff out of me that are like, that pretty much are things that make me tick or things that make me yeah. me. Yeah. As opposed to just like, it's sunny out or that your, your dog's cute, right. But like, all of a sudden, I'm like,
0: You're looking below the. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so it started with Meisner and then with improv, which is, you know, another beautiful art form of deeply listening to your other actor friend, other actors who are on the stage with you. And that's how you get to the truth of what's happening. And that's how you get to the comedy of what's happening. Because once you get to the truth, that's when the really funny thing is. Because, you know, so anyway, without getting on a whole thing of that, but that's, I think that that's where that was birth. And then Sabrina Hill and I, um, Sabrina Hill Weiss and I did sketch comedy for years. For like seven years, we performed all over LA at Bank Theater, but all over LA comedy festivals. I was nine months pregnant doing our last comedy festival. And so we wrote sketch, we wrote tons of sketch. And that also requires just sort of like a nuanced listening. So I don't really know. I mean, maybe that's part of the the training that prepared me for this. I'm a writer. And so I'm just innately curious like I and I love people I grew up as an only child alone in my basement all that the time like, <laughs> says Jackie the child one of 13 children right that's hysterical I was lonely all the time I wished I would have been at that time I was like oh if only I had a big you know family von trap experience um, oh yes we made dresses out, out of, of curtains, of
1: curtains. <laughs> yes I was 16 going on 17 yeah. <laughs> The funniest part, though, is that my um, my mom. Well, this is this is really not funny, but my mom died when I was three. I was the youngest of eleven, and my dad got remarried to a former nun. So it's funny that you made the No bond way! Trap oh my god! I didn't know reference. that. Yes. So I thought at first that it was like, oh, I must have told her that. That's but, so funny. Yeah. No, I didn't. Isn't that funny? And her name was Mary instead of Maria. No. Yes, it's all it's all coming together. That's so, crazy. Yes. But back no. to you. Yeah. So, but I just noticed that, you know, and this is one of the things that I, I tell other people who are thinking about getting into podcasting is the best podcasters are great listeners. Yeah. It's not all about being able to talk. Yes, but you, you have to hear. I, I, my background's daytime TV that I used to do promotion and this and that. And there were certain interviewers that I will not mention that would have their cue cards. And they would ask a question like, you know, what happened when you went to the store that night? And he's like, well, I fell on a piece of ice and broke my leg and cracked my skull. And she's like, what did you buy at the store? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell is happening? (laughs) Right, 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 right. I mean, thankfully, you know, for the magic of editing, but yeah. So I see that in you, you are such a great, not only a great storyteller, but you pull out stories out of other people because you're a great listener.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I love doing it. I just, I find people fascinating. I find people's stories fascinating and where they came from and what they thought they were thought of themselves then. Like how was their self-image as a child? How did that change as they went into puberty? Like what, who was your biggest influence? Like I just, and not even stock questions. Like I don't even, people will come on the show and they'll say, "Well, what, what are the questions that you ask? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We usually start with, where did you grow up? And then I have no idea where it's going to go from there.
1: Right. Well, Jennifer Tracy, where did you grow up?
0: (laughs) I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, in a suburb. Um, I lived the first nine years of my life in Castle Rock, which is south of Denver, I think, by about an hour very woodsy like our house backed up to woods and like i said i was an only child and so i spent a lot of time alone it wasn't that my parents were just not there but they just kind of i was very self sufficient and my mom was i don't know what she was doing upstairs but my dad was at work and i would be downstairs listening to my record player um and i had a big german shepherd a black german shepherd named smokey mm-hmm. and we would go out in the woods and i would like imagine all these elaborate things and adventures that Smokey and I were having together and I was rescuing a princess and then I was being rescued and that is really I think where I started to lean into wanting to be a creative storyteller of some sort. I then eventually went into acting, but even then I was like writing little things and I loved I loved writing for school and and then we moved closer to Uh, the school because my mom at some point was driving an hour each way which is funny because I'm just remembering I drove my son to preschool an hour each way to from here to Culver City and at the time I was like why are you doing that (laughs) but it was like I had to have him in that preschool so silly
1: but that's probably what your mom thought I'm sure when she wasn't spending all that time upstairs (laughs) I'm I'm really actually I'm I kind of is your mom still alive? Yes, she can, is. Can we call her and ask her what she was doing upstairs? Because I really, you have me, uh, I'm fascinated by that. It's we like, totally can. was she can. doing upstairs? She's, you know what?
0: She's in Maui <laughs> right now. So, well, maybe we'll call her afterwards and I can edit that in if we get an answer.
1: That's hilarious.
0: But yeah, no so they,
1: you, But I mean, it sounds like you were fully embracing your imagination as a kid. Yeah. There are many of us who then feel at a certain age that imagination, Kind of sucked out of us, like mm. whether it's, you know, in real life and real life steps in in some ways, like, yeah, stop being such a daydreamer, don't have all these visions for yourself. So, do you feel like your imagination and your creativity was fostered as a child? No. Was it encouraged? No, no, <laughs> no. was it like Jennifer, <laughs> shut the hell up
0: and go uh-huh. be quiet? We had an only child, so you'd shut up. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. No, my parents, bless their hearts. They're the sweetest people, but they, it's interesting. So my dad was a drummer. My mom was a singer and my dad put an ad in the paper. This is in the early seventies for a lead singer. My mom walked into the bar and auditioned. He was like, hubba. And they were in a band. They they were in a cover band for years and they toured and whatever. And then they fell in love and got married and my dad got his real estate license and he just became an incredibly successful real estate salesman. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she kind of gave up her singing, not kind of, she gave up her singing until later when she joined like the Denver Symphony Orchestra Chorus. And so they were creatives, but they just cut that off in themselves. And I, so I think now looking back as a 43 year old woman, I think what actually motivated me was I'm not going to do that. Come hell or high water, I am not going to cut myself off from that because I could see how they were both not really super stoked in their lives. They didn't have a lot of friends. They weren't like, you know, and I was just like, life is great. Now, they had crappy childhoods and I didn't. I had two parents who loved me who were, you know, for the most part there for me. Um, I was pr- very well provided for. So I, I had a, a serious leg up, but they just were not like living their best lives. And so I think that I took note in some corner of my mind and was like, no way, like I'm going to be, you know, and now having taken that path, it was hard. And it, when I told my dad and my mom, like after college, after they paid for my college education and I got a degree in screenwriting, cause that was, That was acceptable to them for some reason. First, it was journalism. Then I was like, oh, I'm not going to do this. After I um, interned for a summer at the local news station and I saw what it was, I was just like, oh, God, these people are vultures. I can't. I mean, nothing against news. There is there's such beauty in being a truly a good journalist. But in that situation, I was not it didn't. Anyway, that was not for me. So I went into screenwriting. And then I came home and I said, Mom, Dad, I'm moving to LA because I'm going to be an actor. And they both just went, Oh <laughs> They're like, what did, yeah. what did we do? Wrong. What did we do wrong? What we? They were and my mom said, Well, you'll starve to death. And my dad said, Jennifer, life is about compromising. <laughs> what? And I was so well, I was so young. I was like, maybe for you it is dad, but I'm gonna do this thing and I'm gonna go to LA and I'm gonna eh, whatever. And then so yeah and here we are. Wait, I
1: want to hear more about that. So life oh. is about compromising. So what, to, in order to, what, what What? What did that mean?
0: What that meant to me, I mean, I didn't know how to unpack things back then, like, so, we need so to I didn't him ask, too, yes. to ask him. <laughs> Dad, what did you mean when you crushed my dreams of acting? No, he didn't. Um, for me, what it meant was you know, I was a drummer and he was really good. Like for the time until he sold his drum kit, I was little. I remember creeping downstairs in the basement. It was my like footed pajamas on, you know, like pink with the, like, they had the vinyl bottoms on the feet. Did you have those? Yes, of course. We called them flackies in my (gasps) family.
1: I don't know where it came from, but even to this day, isn't it? And even to this day, my kids call them flackies. That's so So cute. now everybody, all of your listeners will no longer call them feedy pajamas, but Yeah, because flackies. that's a more,
0: feedy pajamas is like, well, wait, what is this? That's that, a lot I, of work. Yeah. Flacky. <laughs> Flacky. So I was wearing my pink fuzzy flackies <laughs> and I would creep downstairs and he would just be, he was like a really fucking talented drummer. And I remember watching him and feeling incredible joy and deep sadness because I knew that he was this salesman who was just grinding himself into the nothingness doing this work, it wasn't like he didn't enjoy being a salesman, but it wasn't feeding him. It wasn't feeding his soul. And he wouldn't come home and bring joy. He'd come home and be like, I'm so tired. I just want to like watch TV and zone out. And that became his life. And that is still his life, even retired. And he also got cancer at 54. And I sometimes think maybe it was because he was incredibly stressed out by this you know, corporate sort of job that didn't feed him creatively. And
1: anyway, it was just such a different time where, you know, they, I mean, people were taught to find that job, get the benefits. Absolutely. Stay there forever. I always say, like, punch the card, slide down the dinosaur, like Fred Flintstone, yes. you know, at the end of the day. Totally. And that was providing. Totally. That was what you did. And that he was, did. He did so yeah. be- I
0: mean, and I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm, Not grateful, or I mean, I I adore my parents. I'm so grateful to them. I went to beautiful private schools all the way through. They paid for all my college. I didn't have any student loans when I got out. They were as supportive as they could be of my being an artist. But I think, as far as that, and that's why for me doing what I do now, it's so important for me to model that for my kid of like, yes, I'm your parent. Yes, I'm here for you. And yes, I have this thing that's creatively mine that I have to do for myself and I will do it for myself.
1: Right. It's a form of self-care, really. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So how do your parents feel now? Do they listen to your podcast?
0: I don't think so. You know, my dad, (laughs) he's funny. He was like, what is MILF podcast? How do I, uh," you know, they they don't have iPhones. They don't have iTunes. Where I said, you can listen to everything on YouTube or you can listen on my website. He goes, he goes, whoa, yeah. I don't know. He doesn't talk like that. I don't know why I'm making him sound like uh oh, oh Mackie. He doesn't sound like that at all. He sounds just like me. Jennifer. <laughs> I don't know what like this. Like he has no teeth. And I see I him know. like waving his arms back and forth like like that little who is that little Captain
1: Crunch or something. Totally. <laughs> it's hilarious.
0: That is very inaccurate. No, he he was saying, uh, wow, you have, you know, at the time this couple weeks ago, 38 episodes. I said, Yeah, been doing it every week. He was, so yeah, I've learned not to ask if they are in like knowing what I'm up to or, you know, yeah. they just, they don't really show a lot of interest in it. I think because they're still scared that I'm going to fail or that I'm going to starve to death or that, Price. you know, life is about compromising. But my mom is 71 and my dad's 75. No, 71 and 74. Everything is very close to their house. They don't like to venture out. They don't oh, drive they, down they here. They moved LA. out here? They moved out here to be uh, closer to me. Oh, and wow. Blooms, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I sometimes, and I used to ask them this when I was little, like, was I adopted? Because we're just, we're very different. Mm -hmm. I mean, but if you saw them, I look just like both of them.
1: Right. Like you are unique. You are your own person that (laughs) I don't care who could have birthed you. I feel like you would be unique from those two people anyway. Mm. You just have this way. Um, about you. Do you remember the first time we met in person? Yes, of course I didn't I even do. know that you were Jennifer Tracy of the MILF podcast, but <laughs> I'm up on stage and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, MC for this self-care project event. And I see you in the crowd and we're, we're doing some dancing, some movement and all this stuff. And I'm like, I want what she's having. <laughs> I just like, it was, you stood out to me hmm. because you didn't, you weren't, even thinking about, in at least from my angle, where you were or what people thought, you were just, somebody said, we're going to feel music and we're going to move. And you were like, I'm going to feel music and I'm going to move. <laughs> like, it didn't seem like there were a lot of those other things of like looking at, you know, that you close your eyes and then you have one eye open, like yes. looking around to yes. see if, like you were just in it. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I guess you could have been born to two like more... Out there, type of you right. know, spiritual, like, right? But I don't know. I just feel like you would buck the system one way or another.
0: <laughs> I totally see what you mean. Yeah,
1: you know, I, yeah. I mean, that wasn't the most eloquent
0: way of putting no, it, it all. Was. It but were you was.
1: always that way? Were you always comfortable? Oh God, in yourself?
0: No. Oh God, no, no. Just as you were describing me, I was like, damn, I have worked really fucking hard. <laughs> um, well, it's paying off. Thank you, thank you. Um, well, and it's so interesting because of the topic of your po- podcast and, and being over 40 and, and elevating women's voices. Something magical happened in my late 30s and then now my early 40s where I just, I feel like, and it, it's a great credit to all the work that I've done and the people that have been in my life. But I just, I really don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. I don't. And I, and I feel... I do finally feel relaxed in my body. I do finally, like, I love my cellulite on my ass. It's there and it's part of me and it's juicy and it's not going away. And mm-hmm. I like to eat bread and cheese. <laughs> and um, there was a time when I thought that that was the most disgusting thing and who is ever going to love me? And I don't deserve to get a job acting. Or I mean, the obsession with my exterior and my, how much I used to beat myself up about, oh, well, I don't have, you know, I'm not that smart in this way, or I don't have, I'm not accomplished in this. And I failed at acting and I failed at modeling. And I mean, just even that languaging, it's just like, Jesus Christ. you know. And I saw that when I started doing the work in that program. And it was revealed to me through my own writing of like, dude, you gotta, you gotta let go of that shit. Because would you speak to any other person in the world that way? No.
1: So when you're out there in the woods with your, with Smokey and you're doing your thing and you are being imaginative,
0: are
1: you, were you that hard on yourself back then?
0: Oh, yeah. From a very young age, from a very young age. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's just part of the ism of alcoholism or Mm -hmm. addiction. Um, I would assume quite a bit of it is genetic, you know, just, whatever is in my dna to think like that um but yeah no i felt very other i felt very um i felt like a freak you know i was always taller than everyone i was i was like funny i remember this is so fu- so embarrassing to admit this but so when i was younger i start my mom put me in modeling cuz i was 14 and i hated myself and i would walk around saying i hate myself i hate myself i hate myself my mom said you know what, honey, you're going to go to modeling school. I was like, modeling school? That's absurd, you know? And she thought that it would help my self-esteem, which is a, is a logical thought, even though it's actually the exact opposite. Right. But she didn't know. You hate
1: yourself. Let's put you around other people who hate you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: totally. <laughs> Misery loves company. Come on, let's go. Get totally. in the car. Who also hate the, themselves. Right. Um. So I did that, and it was I was very successful in the local market in Denver. Mm-hmm. I immediately got work. I immediately was getting calls from, you know, all like different agencies in Europe, excuse me, different agencies in Europe, uh, New York. And by the time I was 15, I was being invited to like leave high school and go, you know, live as a model. And I was...
1: And for a girl whose self-esteem is in the toilet, this has to be pretty confusing too. It felt
0: pretty good, but it felt very confusing and my friends didn't understand it. And I remember I had one friend who just berated me about it. Like, you're going to end up selling French fries at McDonald's. And I was like, I'm 15. like, what? But I didn't have the, t- I felt so rejected oh, by my peers. Oh, and that sounds like
1: how many parents, like that's where that one got. Yeah. You know, I'm sure she had heard that at home a few yeah, times. exactly. 15 year olds don't come up with that. Yes, exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then I got the part of Frenchie in Greece. And so at, a, at the school play, and I said to my parents and my agent at the time, I said, I'm sorry, I can't go to London uh, because I got this part in the school play and it's really important to me. And I, I and I also was very clear that I didn't want to leave high school at that age. Right. And I thank God that I didn't because Jackie, I don't actually know if I would have survived. I don't know if I would have made it. I just was so fragile, I think, emotionally that I don't think I would have had the moxie to push through or even defend myself in certain scenarios. And I was never in like really crazy scenarios, but I do remember when I lived in New York when I was 18, because after I graduated, I decided I was going to go to New York for a year and try modeling and then go back to college. I ended up going back to college immediately because I couldn't take it. I was like, this is awful. I hate it. It's not for me. But I remember a couple different times that we'd go on test shoots and these photographers would be like, Take your take your top off, and we'll just do the you know, and we'll just cover it with a scarf, and then all of a sudden they would try to pull the scarf away, and it's like you know, and wow, you know, and I actually maybe that was when I was sixteen. I can't remember. I went the summer of my sixteenth birthday, but regardless, it's just it's full of that. It's and you're terrified at that age. You of know, course. You, you don't
1: want to u- upset somebody, right? But you you know it's
0: not feeling right, absolutely, and it's not talked about. And the agency they don't give a shit. They're not sitting you down and saying now you know, you are more important than any of this other thing. You as a human being are important right. to us. Like they're, you're not, you're a commodity to them. Right. They, they don't care. make money off of you. Yeah. I remember one agent told me, now you're going to shoot with this young guy. He's, you know, an up and coming photographer. And if he offers you drugs, do them with him. No. I swear to God. I swear to you. Wow. I didn't. He offered me weed and I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, I didn't do it, but. Wow.
1: So at this point, you know, you talked a little bit about the 12 steps that you've gone through and that you continue. But when did you first find that you were struggling a little bit with alcohol? Were you drinking as a teenager? Oh, yeah. I mean, many of us. Yeah. uh, I mean, sorry, in case my parents will say, uh, (laughs) many of (laughs) others. I hear drinking happens in high school. Asking for a friend. (laughs) Yeah. So you were... Yeah. I I mean, like a, like a regular teenager kind of dabbling
0: or were you trying to fill some sort of void? Like what what do you think I was dabbling and I was really looking for something that would make me feel cool. Hmm. Like I was acceptable or could be acceptable in the eyes of others. I was very concerned about how others saw me, which now, you know, I know like, nobody's thinking about you. They're thinking about yeah, themselves. Totally. They're not thinking about what you. Was that quote of
1: like, you'd be shocked to know like how little people do actually yes, think of you. Like,
0: it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. So yeah, started and then I was, I was, it was fine through high school and I was, I was a really good student and I was a good, you know, socially I was fine and had lots of friends and did the musicals and was in student council and that kind of thing. And then New York and I was, fighting drinking and eating then because I was didn't want to gain weight but I did end up gaining some weight because I would go out for lunch by myself and have like a bottle of wine with lunch you know just by myself Um, but it really didn't get going until I got to college Um, and then like I would be out at parties and see how these people were drinking. I was like, oh, it's okay to drink like that. Okay, great. That's what I really want to do. You know, and then after college, it sort of became clear to me of like, there's and not even clear. I just started noticing how much I had been since I was a teenager. I had really struggled with depression, not knowing that it was depression. I just thought it was, again, like just some huge flaw in me that that's because you're lame. You're just not happy and joyous, and that's your fault or whatever. Right. Right. But the alcoholism and that kind of went hand in hand and fed each other. Right. It wasn't until I think I was 22 and I was on the set of a commercial in Denver and I met this woman and she and she was talking about how she didn't drink and I was like, oh, that's like, what do you mean you don't drink? That's dumb. And she was older; she was in her 30s, and she offered to take me to a 12-step group, and I went. And I didn't get so get sober right away. I Then I moved to LA three months later. And eventually, a couple months after that, I finally did. Did you
1: express that you felt like maybe you had a problem to her when she said she was sober?
0: I remember so clearly, like it was yesterday. She said, do you think you're an alcoholic? After we talked about it for a while, and I just couldn't comprehend what she meant by like, she doesn't drink. She told me a little bit about her story. And then she said very softly, do you, do you think you might be an alcoholic? And I said, oh, I know I am. And it was as if someone reached into my head like a puppet hand and right. said the words for me. And it was that first admission of it that made me realize, oh, my God, maybe that's what's wrong. And that just set me about on this journey of finding. And then, you know, I learned after I eventually did get sober in 1998 that the drinking was just a symptom of all the other shit. And it's, I really drank because I felt all those things right? of like self-loathing and insecurity. And, and yes, like there's a scientific allergy that, you know, when I have alcohol, I want more. And, but it was all the other stuff that I was trying to drink away.
1: Right. You and know, which ironically doesn't make it go away at all. It makes it worse. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty young age though for someone.
0: Yeah. I'm so lucky. I feel so lucky.
1: I was just getting started at that age as far as like the alcohol. I mean, the the stuff I had gone through and the the overconsumption and all of that, um, it would have never even occurred to me at that age to be able to get that help. So how did the people around you, I mean, you're now you're, you're doing your thing and you're living your life and you're in your 20s and, you know, you love alcohol and, you you know. <laughs> so how did you go from where you were to now like, hey, I don't drink. I'm an alcoholic. I'm recovering. I'm doing 12 steps. You know, did, like how did your family respond? Yeah,
0: Well, my parents were like, what? <laughs> like they didn't believe me mm. because they never saw it. Right. You know, I was really good at keeping it away from them to protect them. So they still actually, my dad said something a couple of years ago where he was like, are you really an alcoholic? And I was like, yep, sure am. You know, but he, but, but he, they've seen how much in the 20 years I've grown just emotionally, spiritually, maturity wise. Um. So they started to see in action all the benefits of it. So I don't think they had a problem and they don't drink at all. I mean, they drink once in a while. Okay. They're not, they have no issues with, you know. That kind of stuff. It was something. It was always around you. No, not not even close. So, um, but I had just moved to LA, so I didn't really have like my old drinking buddies here. So right. that part was actually really convenient, right. and I just had like all my new friends were sober. So we were all sober together, and and like it was me and this gaggle of young girls my age, and we would go from meeting to meeting to meeting to diner to eat to you know like right, and and I had yeah. So that was it was this shared experience with my peers doing the same thing.
1: Right. That's amazing. It was I don't know that you would get that in many cities where you could connect with other young women like that. I I think that maybe it would take them a little bit longer before they're ready to get help.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Statistically I'm wondering. I do, I do. And I think that the What do I know? I'm not a I (laughs) am not ai think that, you know, and just if you're listening and you're thinking about that and, and you feel like you might need to reach out, you can you can call the local AA chapter, wherever you are and just ask where the nearest meeting is. You can ask where the nearest young people's meeting is Mm -hmm. and you'd be surprised. I mean, there are people in their late teens, you know, there's also like, well, anyway, there's people in their late teens that are coming in and you're like, what? You're 18. How do you even, you know, but they do. And it gave me, which I think is translated into my podcast and just my work of like, God damn it. We're all just doing the best we can. You know, and you never know what the other person's dealing with. I recently had an interaction with this woman. I'm trying, I want to do a live podcast event and I'm trying to get a hold of this woman because I want to use her space. Calling, emailing, calling. So I finally, no response, no response. I'm starting to get offended. I'm like, am I, does she think I'm just not cool enough? She think I'm too old? Like a little bit of that. But, but then I was like, well, maybe your grandma died or maybe, you know, she's, her kid is sick or I don't know. So I go to the place and I'm like, is so-and-so here today? And they're like, oh yeah, she was just here. I'm like, um, can I see her? And they're like, well, she's in a meeting, you know, can you leave, can you email her? I'm like, well, I've tried emailing her, but anyway, several weeks go by and I go to the place and she's there and I'm like, Hey, and I said, it's me. I've been emailing you. She goes, I've been emailing you back. Have you not gotten any of my emails? Like, no. And so we connect on the thing. She's like, we'd love to host your event, this and this and this. I go home, I check my junk. All of her emails are in my junk mail for some reason. Oh Don't know my why. Gosh. But I made it mean. And you're like,
1: you stupid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I made it mean yeah. that
0: she didn't like me for whatever reason. And I was being excluded and I was being treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah. But, but throughout that I kind of maintained and I thank God I was graceful because I've learned how to not be like um, sh- this woman's not yeah. turning my Burning email. All your bridges. Yeah, I just, you know, but um so things like that. Yeah. Just misconceptions. Right. Yeah, and we and we do that. We make these
1: assumptions based on what our perception is, not the reality necessarily. So let's get to present day. You're a mom. You've got two of the cutest dogs I've ever seen in my life. Like you've got this amazing space. Um, you are giving zero fucks. Yes. You know when it, you are you go and you do like a strip tease yes. exercise <laughs> thing. Um, you know you move your body at the self care event like nobody else. So like you seem like you're in it. You're grooving. You're feeling the vibe of life. Yes. You know, true or false? True. True and you are creative as fuck because you are creating these programs too that like you are teaching other people how to tell their stories. Yes. And you are sharing stories on this podcast and it's it's just all grooving. What what's next for you? Are you like living in this moment or what what's happening?
0: Uh yes and yes both. Um <laughs> more of this because I love doing this, um, this being the the programs that I offer, my private one-on-one coaching and um, the podcast, my baby, my second child. <laughs> um, and I'm uh, working to get my first novel published, Wow, Honey Pie. It's about a woman who, a mom who becomes a dominatrix.
1: Nice. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and eventually a high-end escort.
1: Okay. Why? Like, where did this story come from? Is this this an autobiography? Like, tell us now. What are you holding out, Jennifer Tracy? Oh,
0: girl. I wish I had that much exciting uh, personal stories to share. No. When my son went into preschool, he was three, and I was coming out of the fog of postpartum depression. I'd finally gotten therapy. I'd finally gotten proper meds and diagnosed I had four hours a day <laughs> to myself again, you know, cause I, and I've shared this on the show before, but when my son was 18 days old, my, my husband at the time had to leave town for work and he chose to take this job that was out of town because he'd been unemployed for several months. And then he was out of town for basically the first two and a half years. So I was a solo parent.
1: That's so hard. Not
0: having planned on that or prepared for it. Right. So. This was now, flash forward, he's three, my husband was back home working in town and I could breathe again. And Mm -hmm. so I started getting like energy again and I started doing bookkeeping for a couple different people because I learned how to do bookkeeping because we got audited in 2010 and I was like, I'm never gonna go through that again without being prepared. (laughs) So I got trained in bookkeeping. And so I started doing work. I was like, well, let me just make some money doing that. And and then a friend of mine at the preschool um, who's now one of my best friends said, Oh, I'm doing this fundraiser, you know, at my pole dancing studio. I was like, What?
1: <laughs> and I
0: went to the pole dancing class with her. And she's very beautiful and very put together, extremely smart. And um, our kids are the same age, they're still friends. And I just never would have been prepared for what I saw in that class. So we go to the class, we do the warm up. At the end of the class, she's asked to demo the pole skills and the stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be fun. They turn the lights down, they turn on the music. And I'm like, and I've said this before, like I really did for a couple of weeks. I was like, am I gay? <laughs> because I was so aroused and so turned on and so lit on fire by this woman being so genuinely in her own sexuality, her own brand of sexuality and movement. It mm-hmm. wasn't choreographed it wasn't, she was wearing what she wanted to wear. She was stripping away what she wanted to strip away, you know? And I think there was, she just, she had on like a bra and panties and then she peeled off her shirt at one point. And I was, it was like just this slow taking, just taking off her shirt, but very slowly and deliberately. And my mind was blown. So I signed up for the classes, started taking pole dancing class and my life changed because the place where I study, it's all about going in and finding what turns you on and what makes you want to move your body that way and what feels good it's not for the pleasure of a partner you know or anyone else in the room it's really you know we witness each other but it's really just for yourself and so that started me on this journey of like I was 38 and I was like oh my god I'm horny (laughs) you know I want to I want to dance and I want to and I would come home and I'd be like honey and my husband would be like what he was very skeptical of the whole thing he Mm. was he was is he the he's the one man who was skeptical of pole dancing <laughs> classes. It's him.
1: <laughs> His picture is like right next to him on the, in the front of the building like he's the one skeptic. Every other guy would be like, "I'll watch the kid. I got I got this Tuesday, do it." <laughs> I'll watch the kid.
0: I love it. <laughs> he was a little afraid of it, but then, you know, it's it our marriage was already starting to dissolve, right. so right. That was hard, but we, gosh, on another note, we tried really, really hard. We really did. We went to lots and lots of therapy and, um, but yeah, so, so the pole dancing, and then I just started having this idea of like a woman, you know, my age at the time, reclaiming herself, redefining herself, rediscovering herself or discovering herself anew and finding out that, this is not an end because when my kid was little and I was in postpartum depression, I was like, I'm basically dead. Mm. I've died. And this is the end of my life because this is it forever
1: version of yourself probably had. Yes.
0: Yes. And so then out of this pole dancing, like a new version of me, like the point, the 2.0 version of Jen was birthed and I needed to write about it. And I didn't know what I was going to write. And I thought about a TV show because I've written so many unsold TV shows and, and screenplays in my life. And I went to my friend Annie Jacobson, who's a very well known author. And I said, I have ah, this idea. And she said, Nope, write the manuscript, write a book. I was like, Why? I've never written a book. I don't know how to write a book. She said, Write the book. You will own it. If you write a TV script, you're a woman, you're an unpublished woman in this town, an un, um, you know, uncredited writer in this town. They will eat you alive. You're almost 40. Write the book, I'm telling you. And so. Great advice. Yeah. And so I got a writing coach and I wrote the book. And it took me four years. Wow. So, but that's what inspired me. The the research
1: must have been fascinating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was. I mean, I went into um, several of these, like, I don't know if you call them chat rooms. They're like forums, but like, there's so much out there Mm -hmm. for um, the BDSM community. I mean, there's just so much. I have yet to, though, someone just recently said, why don't you go, there's a sex club and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I, uh, yes, like, I should do that. <laughs> but I, have been a little timid about doing it. So well, And you I, had Wendy Miller on your podcast.
1: Yes. You know, she's, I've learned more from her. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and some of the things that she talks about as far as, you know, um, being at Playboy and, you know, being a woman and, and being in charge of programming and all yes. that stuff. And like, you know, how, respectful those places can be Yes, that, you know, I, and I haven't, there was one actually right down the street that I went to back in the nineties where there was like piercing happening on stage. Oh. And there was a back room where there was like whipping and, it, you know, and I was 23 years old yeah. and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. I'm not in Boston anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, she, she talks about some of these places and actually like how respectful, how the, the boundaries are there you know, that you do what you want to do and you don't what you, you know, you don't do what you don't want to do. And they do, don't so. fuck around. Yeah. I mean, they really do not fuck around. Oh yeah, there's no room around. for yeah. anything yeah. that's not completely consensual. Yeah. That's awesome. So it's really, I mean, some of it is based on, it sounds like, you and your experience with kind of finding your 2.0,
0: yeah. but then taking it to a fantasy level. Yes, and and also you know, the character's back is up against the wall and she has to do it because I had, you know, in fiction, I had to make it, there was a conflict. So, so there's like a time, there's a clock and ticking and she has something motivating her. Um, I forgot what I was just going to say. I just totally lost my train of thought. Oh, 2.0 fantasy. Um, But also within that context, you know, and in the, in the book is the discovery that her marriage isn't working Mm. and the sadness around that and realizing that the life that she had built for herself in this way in the construct of a happy, you know, a marriage and a mortgage and these things. It's like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Like where I am now, like I can't pretend that that's going to work any, right. anymore the way it is. And I think a lot of women and men wake up, you know, it's like that talking head song. How did I get here? <laughs> right? You, know, you kind of wake up and you go, my God, I have however many kids, I have this many bills, I have you know, like my dad, maybe, I don't know, I can't speak for him, but this job that is like, "Mm, a lot of pressure or whatever, or I don't like it. How can I change this? Can I change this? Is it okay to change this?
1: Right. I love that because I think even though your book is this fantasy world, the underlying questions and struggles and challenges are so universal. Yeah. So universal. I see it all the time with people who, but isn't it amazing that you can, Take all these these steps, this action, right? Mm-hmm. Just small steps every day. Like, let's just take your dad, for example. Like, I can leave my drumming, you know, put my, hang up my sticks and go and get a license in real estate and continue moving, continue moving, and then have a life that looks nothing like what it did. But yet I'm the same person, and I'm not really saying your dad, but yeah, yeah. the same person who doesn't believe that I can completely change my life and make it look like nothing. Yeah. In,
0: when I already have.
1: When yeah, I already have. Totally. But just because it went that way. Totally. That, they, But it's like, dude, you just did that. Yeah. So now find something else and do it there. Yeah. And so that's really my jam is like women like you, women over 40 who are, who see the opportunities and then know it's like, yeah, sure. You want to make a goal. Sure. You want to at least have an idea of the direction you're going, but just start taking steps. Just be in a place of action. You know, I mean, I'm sure you've found that you've had a lot of transitions in your life. You know, you could be so overwhelmed at what might or might not happen. But when you just take the small steps toward
0: it, like the book, writing a book is terrifying, I assume. Yes. So hard. One of the hardest things I've ever done. The hardest thing I've ever done creatively.
1: But how hard was it when you actually were like, hey, I'm going to write five pages today."
0: Is that hard? No, because I had, Annie sat down, Annie, the woman that I asked and who said, no, write the manuscript. She said, "Do before, right before I hired the coach, she said, 15 minutes, three times a week. I was like, what? She said, I'm telling you, that's how I started. Now, this is a woman who now writes, when she's in a project, she'll write eight to 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. I can only write four hours a day. Um, But she is prolific in her Mm -hmm. writing. But she said, no, 15 minutes, three times a week. This was so so funny. Like when I could take a new client, I just took on a new client and she said, well, how much a day do I have to write? And we hadn't had our intake session yet. And I said, well, that all is going to depend on your goals and what you're writing. And I said, but it really actually doesn't matter. It's just about the consistency and the commitment and getting your ass in that chair. And so what Annie had told me was when she started writing, when she was my age, uh, not, I mean, she'd always written. She's a very well-known, like, journalist and brilliant, brilliant woman. But when she started writing her nonfiction books, she had a mentor that said, "You sit down for 15 minutes, three weeks a day, and even if all you do is write, here I am on the keyboard on the on your, you know, word processing or whatever. That's it, and you just and and I did that. Yeah, I just sat down and I'd write. Here I am. I don't know what to write, or I'd write a jumble of words. I remember my uh, writing coach for our first session, she's like, send me what you have. I was like, mm, fuck. So I sent her this just mess of, right. I don't even know what was in there. I'd love to go back and look.
1: Bread, milk. Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Not far from that. Yeah. Literally. It was like a list of emotions. Um, But it, that was the seed, yes. you know, and that's what she was like, great. I read what you wrote. There was no, like, I was so expecting her on our first call to be like, so Jen, I, you know, I don't, think this is gonna work or whatever, like whatever some kind <laughs> of rejection. Fired. yeah. <laughs> and it was like, great, yeah, I read what you wrote. Let's keep going. because mm-hmm. that's just one page. like we're yeah. gonna do many, many, yeah. many, many many, many, and it that's it just gave me the permission right to just write crap,
1: get started and keep going.
0: yeah, chop wood carry water, I always say. Mm. Just chop wood carry water, and pretty soon you'll have a house
1: right. amazing. yeah. So not only are you writing this book, but you are teaching other people how to pull out their own stories. And how is that going? I love it. Yeah, I
0: love like it lights me up so much to work with writers and help them uncover what's in their heart and in like this desire to express this story. I mean, I really believe when you have something that's tugging at you and you all have that, everyone who's listening has something like that. It may not be something in, that you want to write, but it's some kind of creative project that we all say, oh, well, I've got bills to pay or I've got children to raise or that's not important. That's not important. But there's a reason that it's calling to you, whether it's like, I've always wanted to take ballet class or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I believe there's a divine reason that's calling to you. And ultimately I believe it's so that other people will, you'll get healed and other people will get healed. So when I'm with a writer who's discovering things about themselves through their story, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, screenplay, TV pilot, those Mm -hmm. are really the things I work with. Um, or sometimes they'll do a stage play. That's pretty rare though. I've only done that one or two times. Uh, It's just to see them light up and make these discoveries about themselves and then to be able to translate that into story through the characters of the story, the plot of the story. It's magic. It's magic. And then when that thing gets out in the world in whatever form it's in, it's limitless in how many people it can affect.
1: Right. Yeah. Isn't it amazing when you see people that you've helped? move forward it's like it's actually in some ways more exciting to see them do it than yourself oh
0: absolutely because you can't really measure your own internal success yeah it's hard to see it like it's funny when you're asking me about my sobriety I'm like oh you know right now it's no big deal I mean it is I'm still very involved in uh, caring for my sobriety and and nurturing it Mm -hmm. but it's now it's no big deal but back then you know it was like a struggle to just even think that I could be one year sober, much less 20. Right,
1: right. But one day at a time, that, that like showing up and keep going, show up, keep going. I mean, it's really the key so before we go can we do a little lightning round yeah because <laughs> I just don't know you know I've heard many of your episodes and I just think people want to know more about you yeah I know you did an episode earlier this year that was just you I want more of that oh you gotta you gotta give us more Jennifer Tracy
0: okay I will I will I promise
1: <laughs> okay biggest turn on
0: oh um integrity
1: mm. best day ever
0: mm. It's so hard. I I have to go with the day my son was born. Sort of cliche, but it really is. But you know, it's, yeah. it,
1: it, it's true, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was a really good day. Uh, biggest fear?
0: That I won't find another great romantic love.
1: Yeah, I get that.
0: Because I don't... loved my husband. I still love him. I mean, I I really, really loved him and I was deeply in love with him. Um, And that shifted and changed and... Um, but I love, I love being in love mm-hmm. and I love having a partner and, you know, but I just don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, it's like, you can ask me about all these other things. I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to do my course. I'm going to write, I'm writing my second book and this and that. Like I'm very, for the most part, like that's going to happen. Cause I can take those actions to make that happen. But when you involve this other thing, it's like, I don't know.
1: Right. We don't have as much control over yeah. another. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I believe it. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Greatest unrealized dream so far.
0: Oh, um, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to your episode with Lee. I'm going to mess up her last name. Kochner? Kechner. Kechner. Thank yes. you. I knew it. I knew I was going to say it wrong. <laughs> That's OK. Lee Kechner, who's amazing. I want to meet her. And she was talking about the one person show that she wrote. Mm-hmm. And I, for a while, there was a one woman show I was writing and it was one of those, this was many years ago. It was one of those projects that I was writing and then I started and then I just stopped because I thought, oh, you know, what I talk about in a lot of my courses and with my clients is that, that gremlin mind, the doubt and fear. Right. That's like, oh yeah, this is never gonna anything. like you should just stop, you know, instead of really keeping on, like keeping on with the action. Mm-hmm. And so I listened to her talk about that and it reignited that desire in me to do a a one-woman show. So that is definitely an unrealized dream that I've had for a long time.
1: Awesome. And your final question. Okay. What would you say is the thing that makes you most special?
0: Oh, that's such a sweet question. It's true. The world, girl, the world needs you more than you could ever Mm. realize. These are good questions. They're hard questions. My ability, I'm going to get emotional about it for some reason. My ability to forgive people and to, to, be, to come with kindness, you know, because for me, that gives me so much pleasure and joy and relief. You know, I don't know if that makes me special, but it makes me special to myself. <laughs>
1: So when other people maybe wrong you or come at you or you know it, it, do something that you continue
0: to show up from a place of love and kindness, even if it's within a boundaryed place, like even if I have to hit block caller,
1: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> that's um, right, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I I will still eventually be able to look upon that person with compassion and empathy because, you know, like I said before, you never know what the other person's dealing with truly. And it's not personal, even right. though sometimes it feels so personal, even, you know, sometimes it, you, you're you being attacked either physically or emotionally or whatever. And it, it is personal, but it's, it's really not. It's, it's their shit. Right. And it's their journey. Yeah.
1: Well, Jen, I think I can speak for all of your listeners. I adore you. Oh, I adore you. This show you. is just everything. I love these conversations. Like I said, on, on days where I feel like I haven't connected with anyone, um, you know, under the, over the age of 14, <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. and I feel like I'm working at it and just, you know, it's just, it's my release from, it's my connection sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm, when I don't have that ability to necessarily reach out to someone and have that 20-minute phone call mm. or whatever. So thank you for everything you do and for this
0: podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for interviewing me Yay! and being my my host today. In your bedroom for the first time, I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> you made it into the bedroom, baby. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed Jackie's interview with me. Please head on over to 40 Thrive Podcast and listen to the other half of this interview pod swap where I'm interviewing her. It's such a good interview. She's such a fascinating lady, and I loved her story. And I just love her. Like, isn't she just so great? Don't you just want to hang out with her for four hours in your bedroom? Anyway, so thanks for listening. Next week on the show, tune in. I am interviewing Tembi Locke, author of From Scratch, which is now one of my top five favorite books of all time. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is a memoir of her journey of losing her husband to a rare form of cancer when their daughter was seven. He'd had it for 10 years. Anyway, it's absolutely an exquisite book. And actually, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna correct myself. That is a piece of the story, but it's really a love story. It's a love story about the two of them and how they met in Italy where he's from. It's just beautiful the way she wrote it. It's exquisite, and I fell in love with her too. I'm just falling in love with women all the time. I feel very, very fortunate to be able to do what I do. So I hope you'll tune into that. I love you guys. Keep going and treat yourself to something sweet today.